Welcome to episode 237 of No Challenges Remaining. I am Ben Rothenberg, and I am thrilled to be joined on the show once again by dear friend of NCR, Lindsay Gibbs, who is here as the now creator and writer and everything of Power Plays, which is great. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for having me back. Of course. Now, before we get into the tennis stuff and your general work on gender and sports and stuff like that and sexism, you have a new project you're doing a new yeah. thing you're putting out into the world, which I think is very cool. Courtney's a big fan. I'm a big fan. Aww. Please tell, and a lot of other more famous big fans. I don't know if to, it gets more famous than Ben and Courtney, uh, but... Not in these parts, uh, anyway. <laughs> but please tell us about Power Plays, what it is, why you're doing it, and how people can find it. Yes. An early plug. We'll do a plug at the end, too. Perfect. So Power Plays, um, you can go to powerplays.news to subscribe, because it is an email newsletter that will be in your inbox every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, I call it a no-bullshit look at uh, sexism in sports, which, you know, is a wide array of, uh, gives me gives me a lot of <laughs> meat on that bone yeah. to kind of work with. And yeah, I mean, every single edition kind of focuses on a different part of the um, intersection of gender and sports, be it, um, you know, prize money, be it exposure, be it merchandise. Um, the reason it's called Power Plays is because I like to focus on the people who are in positions of power making decisions about women in sports. And I don't think they've got nearly enough criticism uh, for a lot of the decisions or credit in very few instances for their decisions. I think a lot of people just say the phrase market forces and then run run in the other (laughs) direction. And um, literally no market force exists in a vacuum. There's that meme that's going around this week of the guy talking to the girl in the yeah. nightclub. And she's just like rolling her eyes at him. And you you had some market forces caption, which I really appreciate. Yeah, it's that really was... about market forces. So, you know, I just like to kind of, uh, I think if you're interested in cutting through that and really looking at the issues, then you'll uh, learn a lot from my newsletter. I've learned a lot already from doing it. Um, it's also, I try and make it fun. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, you make it fun. Okay. It's, it's been a good time. Also, I will say two things. First thing, your title is really good. Power Plays is one of those things that's just obvious, like, sports double meaning thing. Yes. That, yeah. like, I was amazed that I hadn't seen it. When you used it, I was like, wow, that really hasn't been taken. That's incredible. Wow, good for you yeah. for <laughs> grabbing that one. That was great. A, as a hockey player, also former especially, yeah. like, appreciated that one. And then B... Like, I think, as I was just saying before we started, I think you've done such a great job at, like, at take, starting in this vein of sports coverage, this lane of sexism in sports covered in a no-bullshit, direct, thorough way that didn't really necessarily exist as someone's beat, per se, yeah. before you started doing it at Think Progress, and now you've made it this, like, super essential thing in the sports world that I can't imagine you not being there. So hopefully people who have encountered you before follow and follow you on your new adventure of power plays or people who haven't heard of you sign on afterwards i'll rant on the end about why subscribing is so important but yeah just like 
Uh, right now, it's totally free. Eventually, there will be a fee, but there will always be one newsletter a week for free. No. So if you sign up, um, you will always, you know, um, get it. But just signing up for free helps me prove that there is an audience for coverage yeah. like this. And um, it's really important. Yeah. It, thank you. So, of course. So the, the one main tennis one you've done so far, it's been out for it's like three month. weeks. Three yeah, weeks. Yeah, so yeah. Three weeks so far. The one main tennis one you did was centered around the WTA finals in Shenzhen, which wrapped up a few weeks ago um, with a record amount of prize money. The winner of that event, who wound up being Ash Barty, got four point something million dollars winning that event. Biggest prize in the history of, I think, any single tennis tournament, men's or women's. And that it came at a women's event is very rare that women are breaking a sport-wide record for pay ever in ever. any sport. <laughs> that's That's already way out there. And that it was, yeah, that it was so big. Women's record, everything, it's great. So that you talk about, let's start with just that one line item of this event. Like, why is that kind of money in women's sports such a powerful symbol? And then we'll get to the complications around that. Yeah. After. I mean, look, um, money and power are related, right? I wish they weren't. And there are ways to have power without money. Do you know what I mean? They don't have to be synonymous. Um, but in a way, um, they are. I mean, we're used to seeing male athletes get jaw-dropping, mind-boggling paydays on a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah. And I'm all for that because it's, it's the money's either going to them or it's going to the billionaire owners. So <laughs> trust me, I'm all for the athletes getting yeah. you know their money. Um, but honestly, it was great to see a, um, a woman get this huge payday. But the reason I did the end up doing the issue was because... I felt like it wasn't getting a lot of attention. No, it wasn't. And I kind of wanted to take a break and say, hey, let's not take this payday for granted. Um, let's let's talk about this. How did we get here to the point where Ash Barty can get this money? Why aren't we talking about it? And is there anything that other women's sports can learn from the WTA's journey uh, to getting here? So that was kind of... What what I wanted to dig into for that edition of the newsletter, and I learned a lot writing it. it I had a, a, like, that's probably been one of my favorite ones to write so far, because I just got to really dig into the archives and um, talk to one of the WTA original nine. Right. Julie, our uh, former NCR guest, Julie Heldman. Julie yeah. Heldman. Ben actually connected me to her, so thank you, Ben. And, uh... And she was just wonderful. And just to be able to talk with her about, you know, I think I said, I said, uh, you know, when you signed your $1 contract, could you ever have imagined a $14 million tournament? She said, maybe $1,400. <laughs> like, it was just like, not even conceivable. Yeah. But I think that's important for other women's sports to look, you know, this didn't happen overnight. No, it definitely yeah. didn't. And one of the, one of my favorite squares on the Billie Jean King bingo catchphrase board is when she says the money is the message. Yes. And that's like a big uh, one. Like, and that's what one of the things in early Julie Hellman type era WTA, Billy was super focused and driven towards this goal that she had in one of the very early, I think Virginia Slim circuit years of earning $100,000 in prize money. That was this big benchmark which she set up because she knew that if she was able to do that and prove more than your average American man earns in a year by being a female athlete, it would wake people up like wow this is viable this is something that is being valued by people there is money to be made in this and that 
she was not doing it so she could go out and buy a, a Porsche or whatever, right. you know, like be like you know, be on MTV Cribs, which didn't exist in the seventies. But you know, but she, oh, if it did, oh, hers, hers would have been great, I'm sure. Uh, actually, now I want to see Billie Jean do it now. Yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, but that's the really key thing, and that that sort of being a being flashy with the money with the, which meant have been forever in in sports. Yeah, I mean, like look at like the way that, like a, an Alex Rodriguez contract gets covered or. Anything like that. There's this huge, like, wow, wow, wow money factor in men's sports constantly. And women, you know, getting their chance. And I, I think you're right. I think there probably wasn't enough buzz around that moment in yeah. Shenzhen. And, you know, Shenzhen's in WT Asia is tough because it's in this time of the tennis calendar when the sports attention focus in North America is not on tennis. No. Nope. It is a really rough time zone mm-hmm. for the most part. Most of the events are... Um, you know, uh, in the middle of the night or mm-hmm. large in the middle of the night. And so I didn't want to watch that much Shenzhen this year. It's on tennis channel, the final that tournament, which is a fairly niche channel still. Like it's only for tennis yeah. diehards for the most part. So it's not breaking out of that bubble so much. So maybe it was like if a $4 million tree falls in a forest and Shenzhen doesn't make a sound, like hopefully it does reverberate yeah. somehow. But you're right. I do think that it is complicated. And maybe, I don't know if some of the reservations are, are tied at all to what we're, I was going to segue to next sort of with the issues of, well, the two things on that. The other thing is that it was a weird, it's a, it was a weird week of mixed messages as a yes. tournament in a few key ways. Yes. The first one is just pure optics of the event itself. Yes. Which is that watching it on TV, the few times I did, the crowds were never impressive. And I didn't watch the final. So I, I do not know how they were then, but at least through most of the week for this really marquee tournament of all top eight players there, every match is like star versus star, A-list versus A-list, big things. They were, the few fans who were there were spirited, um, but there were not a lot. You could, it sounded empty and it was yeah. very, it was lit in a strategic way to let you know there were a lot of empty seats there. And I will cut, and we'll get to this a little bit second. The one slack I would cut to Shenzhen on this is that I think they were probably were banking on getting a lot of fans coming from Hong Kong when right. they assigned Shenzhen the tournament. It's right next door city. Mm-hmm. And that was not as possible. Freedom. Yeah. I don't think it was as possible freedom movement or the desire to do that with what's happened to Hong Kong last there are, People focus on other things. Yeah. Uh, and understandably so. Yeah. Um, but what, I guess to, to, I'll ask you, like, from an optics point of view, like, what is better... Or what are the trade-offs in women's sports for playing for a lot of money in a stadium that looks like no one's interested or having a great atmosphere and a huge turnout? Let's say, like, I'm not that they get paid in college sports, but like, let's say, like, a UConn basketball game or something. Yeah. For no actual pay for the players. Yeah. Or I'm, minimal pay for the I players. I mean, look, it's a tough balance. I mean, I think a lot of the... Um, a lot of the tournaments in China and in Asia in general, when I'm watching, they have a lot of the corporate boxes right by the court, right? Which never does any good. And yeah. I think tennis in general has, and I mean, look, tournaments like the French Open do this too. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think tennis in general has um, catered so much to the corporate crowd yeah. at the... Um, while alienating a lot of like the grassroots fans yeah. and, and Yankees games have that too. That's not right. Just that's not thing. just yeah. women's a tennis. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like this is, I see this in men's tennis. I see this all over the place. You know, I want to give Shenzhen a little bit more time, obviously, because it's year one of this. A lot of the WTA stars are newer right now. We've got a young crop coming up, right? So they're not as established. Um, and, but you know, I mean, I think about back to a few years ago, 
I mean, maybe this is like 10 years ago now because I'm very old. But uh, when the WTA finals were in Istanbul and they developed such a great crowd over a few years in Istanbul. Do you remember that? So I, Istanbul was, the I've covered Istanbul twice okay. in, oh. in the year in championship, 2012, 2013. It was some of my favorite, one of my favorite tournaments yeah. ever because they packed in the stands. And I heard it was pretty good in 2011, which was the first year. They yeah. only had three years in Istanbul, but I heard it was pretty good then. And one of the main things I heard is that they really had tickets real cheap. Yeah. It was like... $5 tickets, $10 tickets to get in. and But that means they sold out. And the atmospheres there were incredible. It was incredible. And I just feel like, especially for a showcase event, and I feel this way for Davis Cup too, who's had these problem, problems of empty stands for a lot of their matches this week as it's going on now in Madrid. Like, for the first time, like I think it's... So, the money you're going to make, almost no sporting event profits based on its ticket sales. They almost all profit based on TV rights deals. Yeah. That's the main thing. So especially early on, like the optics are so important for an event to make it seem like people care. Yeah. And that's what Shenzhen is so extreme at, where it's on the one hand, maybe argue, I don't remember exactly what it was when it was in Doha, but it might've been the emptiest WTA finals year in championships ever yeah. in Shenzhen at the same time being the richest. Yeah. And that's pulling the sport into very different, like very different loud signals. Both of those are very loud. Yeah. And I, they, they kind of make a cacophony that I, it's tough. You can yeah. hear what you want to hear in it and hear problems or hear joy or both, or maybe they harmonize in some way, you know, no. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's tough. I mean, you're you're building a you know fan base there for a sport that doesn't come there often, and you're yeah. trying to create buzz. And like we said, I mean, this is all going on around the backdrop of it's what twenty minutes from Hong Kong. We'll get to that. So protests. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing is that it came up a lot from questions people. One was a talking point all fall. I mean, and I don't think it got enough attention that the WTA Hong Kong tournament got postponed this year, which had no, been one of the, which had yeah. been one of the bigger stops in WTA Asia scheduling Hong Kong did not happen this year it was a, was a, was the highest was the biggest international level which is like basically lower tier WTA yeah. level event they always got they've gotten really strong players paid above and beyond the prize money minimums they had to pay for that level they you know got good good draws and they didn't happen this year because of all the chaos in Hong Kong and that I think those questions about Hong Kong about Chinese government human rights Things like I think are fair questions when it comes to WTA again and their massive investment in the Chinese marketplace as seeing it as a stable future and a massive revenue cash source for stability. Because the reason there are these tournaments they put in places like Wuhan and Beijing to a lesser extent, but mostly Wuhan because that was sort of off the map before, is because there was investment there from local governments and local government affiliated companies yeah. who could who could really bankroll the tour and be someone to provide them that cash. And so and Wuhan's an interesting case, actually, because Wuhan this year, notably, I've, again, I have not been there, and I'll say why in a second, but they, I think they improved their public transport structure in Wuhan this year. And so by the, the crowds in Wuhan are better than ever this year. Okay. Oh, and so on, like, year six, I think this is, of Wuhan being a tournament, it started to look like a real real tournament for sure. Um, so that was that's one thing that I think is interesting and maybe that will come with Shenzhen even with the difficulties and the other thing I think you talked about this with Julie I believe in in the power play saying women's tennis has a particular history <laughs> of compromising yeah it's of compromising its ethics or values or whatever you want to say in the name of financial viability and this was like they're the clearest I think it's just a fascinating history of the sport oh, with how they paired with Philip Morris and Virginia Slims a tobacco company who was marketing towards women uh, and Virginia Slims brand to keep their women's empowerment thing afloat, selling this harmful product. And part of the reason, honestly, that I think Philip Morris was so successful at selling early women's tennis is they successfully sold 
you know, cancer-causing death agents. Yeah. So if you can do that, women's sports are like no big deal, <laughs> honestly. Well, so, so it's just, yeah, there's a lot of like, so where, I, where do you think, and we haven't mentioned, but I've alluded to sort of the whole NBA fiasco with <laughs> Daryl Morey, the GM of the Houston Rockets, tweeting pro-protester um, sentiments for the Hong Kong people. And that being a massive, I think everyone probably knows that story by now, massive backlash from, from China and a lot of reticence from other NBA entities to support him, to back away from him. WTA in China, it's messy. Is that what do you think are the sort of things WTA should do or look for or should fans should see in this relationship? Because it is certainly complicated. It's messy. And I think that ultimately, at the end of the day, WTA needs to answer for it. And I think that um, you need, um, you know, WTA officials, the higher ups, to talk about human rights, to take a stand. You need, um, you know, if you are going to take the money, which they have, yeah, and they, I mean, so many other sporting organizations have taken the China money, right? Oh, yeah. Like this is Olympic. I mean, we're talking, you know, you, or the Saudi money, yeah, or the or Saudi, money, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, whatever it is. But I think you have to also be able to answer for it, and um, that's something we really haven't seen from tennis and um you know we've also though seen tennis be silent on a lot of issues um of importance and uh you know like i said it's it's certainly complicated i don't know if the answer or if it's even possible to really abandon that market altogether i mean we certainly know that you know stacy put you know a lot into that and it's been in a lot of ways the WTA's kind of lifeline as the sport has ebbed and flowed in popularity in the United States as it's gotten more global. It's not dominated by American stars anymore. And which means that, you know, the American market can't sustain as many tournaments as it once could. I mean, it still has very successful tournaments, but, um, you know, I think that for me, it's all about being accountable, right? If you're taking this money, tell me what you're doing with it. Let's talk through what are your rules for being able to go places? Yeah. What are you doing to make sure your players are safe? Which we know that, um, you know, they didn't do a really good job of before in, um you know, I'm not even talking about, you know, on court, but was it um, uh, Shahar Pair? Shahar Pair yeah. in Dubai. Yeah, no, in, yeah. in Dubai. And, you know, I thought the WTA's response there was was weak. It was Andy Roddick who ended up making the big stand yeah. years ago to help her. He's not getting nearly enough credit for that at the mm-hmm. time, by the way. It was, that was a huge thing. Yeah. He was defending, for those people who don't know the yeah, story, yeah, you, you, like 10 odd years ago, Shahar Pair was denied a visa to play in uh, Dubai. There's during a flare up, particularly in Israel, you know, relations yeah. with their neighbors they don't get along well with, to say the least. And Andy Roddick, who is the men's defending champion in Dubai, pulled out of the men's event, which is going to be the next week, because of what was going on with Shahar. In protest. And like relatively quietly, didn't make like a big stink about it. It was pre social media and pre most modern social media anyway. And yeah, he's like, that was a very cool moment. And it's, it stands out because there's been so few like that. There's been so few. I mean, and yeah. granted, there have been a lot of other instances of visas getting denied, things like that. But 
I did not hear a single WTA player speak out for Hong Kong when their tournament got no. protests. I didn't see a single thing like that. Nothing happened around the, and I don't, I'm not sure if they were told to be on lockdown or what, or my honest take is they just don't seem to almost ever have those impulses to do those things. They're no. not the most, we can get to this more fully later, but WTA players do not seem like the most politically engaged, socially engaged, current events engaged group out there, which is a disappointment because I think it's a sharp contrast to some of the other female athletes you cover and the other sports you cover um, who seem to really be, in a lot of ways, leading conversations on a lot of issues. And yeah. WTA is not even following. They're just out of it. And yeah. So. And, and yeah, uh, very quickly, I have to give my favorite uh, anecdote ever, which is that Shahar Pear actually named her dog Andy Roddick way before Andy Roddick ever denied his visa. Oh. Ever denied the visa. Like, she was such a big fan of his that she, that's how. That was the name of her dog. Oh, that's great. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, if, if people don't know, I got into tennis because of my love for Andy Roddick. So yeah. big Roddick stand over here. For those of you who know Lynn's mostly for her star turn as this <laughs> sports reporter, your tennis, tennis is where you started. Oh, a, absolutely. I literally got started on Twitter and on and writing about everything because I was a nanny and I would blog and tweet about tennis. Yeah, one of us um, people. During, us. Yeah, I was one of one of you um, and still am. Like, I love, love the sport. Speaking of the sport itself, you, okay, had, yeah. you, 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 you had a note for me you wanted to mention about Shenzhen, I guess, also. Yeah. About the court speed, which what? is another issue. Why was the court? Why? It was so, it was so stupid, Ben. I don't get this. I, I, this has been it, a rant of mine for about a good six years now yeah. in tennis, at least. Like, there's been this constant slowing down of hard courts and some grass courts too, but hard courts especially, and even more on indoor courts. And it bugs me twice as much in the year end championships women's context. Because the both, men? Because it, it was Singapore did this too. And it's simple enough to have this problem. Singapore and Shenzhen now, both these crazy slow courts. And the reasons courts got slower this century was as a counteraction to the surf bot unwatchability of a lot of 90s men's tennis with like Sampras, Ivanisevic, you know, Krychek with just booming aces. Yeah. And like it was not fun to watch. Women never had that issue. Yeah. And so when you have a female only, female tennis only venue like the year end championships for WTA, which is not a combined event in any shape or form, make it fast because fast tennis just looks so much better. It's so much more, imp- it's healthier for the players, shorter rallies, and they're not ending as many rallies on mistakes. And it's so much more fun for fans. And you're talking about making the fan experience yeah. better. Like, it's so much more engaging for the fans. And, I mean, okay, so we, we do have to mention, like, the women's tournament did have terrible luck. What, what it was Osaka. And Andreescu both pulled Andreescu out. Andreescu both pulled out. And I think there was a third, like, Burton's or something like that who had gotten in. And then Yeah, uh, there's two alternates then, there. And, and then yeah. there were three, like, three days in a row where someone pulled out a match. Or retired. So, or or retired. Yeah. So there was really bad luck. But, uh, but Belinda Bencha talked about the court speed. And she said it feels like you are everything from the ground is bouncing back up into your body. Like, you're absorbing the force. And I just, that made me so mad. So I just wanted to mention that too, which is just another, I think it would have been a really simple way to set the tournament apart and for optics to be better, to have a fast court. And instead, they did the opposite. Let's get to some questions from folks. Yeah, we, we, we are all over the place. Yeah. It's good. That, um, we're going to continue being all over the place, okay, which is good. good because then that's sort of, you know. That's the NCR current, way. It's yeah. NCR way. And it's, you know, power plays. You're, we're impressed with your dexterity and things like that. Um, we mentioned this, alluded to Davis Cup earlier. Um, there's been a lot of talk as Tennis Australia has led this effort around, um, and ITF2 and ATP have led this effort around all these new reimagined men's team events 
and Hopman Cup, which was this unique mixed event, went away, or is it's not dead, but it's as I think I referred to it in the last episode, it's like, you know, the you know, the homeless child of a single parent now, because the ITF has it and there's nowhere for it to live. Um, and it could come back somewhere in 2021, maybe, but we don't know. It's currently off the calendar. Mm. Um, we got a question from a uh, longtime reader, uh, Jay Rube, Barube, uh, who asks, uh, discuss an imaginary women's labor cup and what it could be called and possible combined event along the same lines. And I guess just we'll take that whatever you want, just in terms of this disproportionate investment that there's been in men's events compared to women's. A lot of people are just saying, just add the women to the labor cup. We were talking about that a little bit before. Like, I yeah. I don't mind that Labor Cup is a new men's team event. Like, I'm not saying all men's events are bad. Like, it does seem to work, the current Labor Cup. So I'm not saying change it. But the lack of any parallel creativity, investment, talking about the money being the message, no one's putting that money into women's team events right now. Uh, there is a new Davis, uh, Fed Cup, excuse me, coming next year, um, similar revamp to the men. But, uh, yeah, what, what do you what do you make of that? And where do you where do you... What yeah. do you look at when you see this men's landscape, it's which is fit. hard to follow sometimes? Uh, yeah, first of all, as someone who hasn't followed men's tennis closely lately, uh, it's I've been very confused. So it's <laughs> it's a lot, and I think it's asking a lot for casual fans to follow. Um, but I'm really, really, really disappointed in the lack of um, creativity and ambition, it seems, to create more outlets and more team outlets for women's tennis. First of all, while I agree, like the Labor Cup, of course, has no obligation to have women, I think it would be a more fun tournament if women were there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, imagine you've got Andreescu and... Um, it would be competitively more balanced, first com- of all. Way competitively more balanced, yeah. right? Yeah. Seeing, I mean, one of tennis's greatest strengths is that it's got men and women on the same the same play the same field like and you who doesn't appreciate that is men's tennis. men's tennis and men's yeah. tennis has always resented it and they've resented it from the beginning when I wrote about in power plays you know yeah. Julie said that um, when they were looking to start like the men once money came to tennis once uh, over the table once it became open tennis and started to be contracts the men just wanted their own tournaments yeah and that's how it's been and men are still bitter about it and it's infuriating like i said i mean yeah the labor cup is great i think it would be better if there was a women's component to it as well i think it would be more fun to see them interact yeah i think like it's just you know having mixed doubles there everyone loves mixed doubles everybody and tennis doesn't do anything with it tennis this is like the biggest failure of tennis (laughs) it has this awesome format which fans routinely love when top players play it yeah and when it's given any kind of showcase it is like people's favorite thing. It is much more popular by leaps and bounds than either men's or women's single sex yeah. doubles. Same sex doubles, whatever you want to call that. Like, it is great. The Andy Murray Serena Williams pairing at Wimbledon this year was one of the best and most fun tennis stories of the year. And they they filled out center court twice for that team. And if you look at the prize money they win for it, it's like nothing. Yeah. Like it's like it's so incredibly misses opportunity. I say this all the time on Twitter. Other sports are completely inventing ways to come up with mixed events. Like yeah. there's like mixed luge relays yeah. and things like that. And, and like tennis. And mixed swimming relays and mixed track relays and other things. And tennis was the OG mixed sport. I mean, there's a, a fact that I love citing that like the first ever depiction of tennis, like paint, it was a painting, I think, was of mixed doubles. Like it's been there since the beginning. Yeah. It was how the sport was envisioned. It was always men and women together. Women have always been part of tennis combined mixed events have always been part of tennis 
And that's the essence of tennis. I mean, that's one thing that makes it so cool. And it is. And I just... It's, that's why the Grand Slams are so great, because they have both at once. It is. And it's why, I mean, it's why Indian Wells and Miami, why these are the biggest, you know, events, like, outside of it. And I think it's, you know, I know Larry Ellison has talked a little bit about maybe having mixed doubles Indian Wells and stuff like that. Yeah, haven't and, gone anywhere. I talked about that for, like, eight Yeah, years and I don't know. I mean, I just think, like, it's, it's really ridiculous. Although I will say... The good news is it's an Olympic year, and Olympics has mixed doubles, which is wonderful, and people love it. And But that alone, like the fact that there hasn't been any progress in the past four years since there's been mixed doubles back yeah. in the Olympics, I think just shows. But look, I think what you see is a lot of people buying the narratives that the women's game is in peril, and that they've gotten this far, and that this is... As good as it gets, Or it's inferior. Of. Inferior. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe not in peril, but just like that asking for any more outside of, you know, maybe corporate uh, China money would be, is that they're, they, they couldn't do it. And I think that it's short-sighted. I think it's sad. I think just the fact that there's not like a really great like WTA Legends tour even. Do you know what I mean? Like it is often a uh, mixed spot, you know, yeah. a, a lost um, opportunity. And I think not seeing more collaboration, not having both of these um, organizations realize that together they're stronger. Yeah. ATP Cup is coming up as this new event taking the Hotman Cup place and taking and wiped out the entire ATP, almost the entire ATP first week of the year calendar. And that they were like, let's take this thing that's super... And Tennis Australia was so dumb how they did it, low-key. And I think I said this a couple episodes ago, too, because they ended on the best Hotman Cup ever when it was Federer yep. versus Serena. It was the biggest platform Hotman Cup ever got. I went to Perth knowing that match would happen. I was like, we're going to want to cover this for the Times. I want to see this. the once-in-a-lifetime thing to see Federer and Serena playing against each other in a somewhat, you know, semi-real yeah. kind of thing. And that then they were like, <laughs> and now we're doing another, uh, yet another men's-only event. The lack of imagination, lack of creativity, feeling like the women are, men treat the women like competitors or like leeches or whatever you want to say, and it's frustrating. And, yeah. and the women don't speak up about it enough, and I understand why. It's scary. Um, I, I think more than that, WTA bosses don't speak up about it enough. And I think that, um, you know, you're not seeing the leaders in the sport um, really um, fight for the women the way I would like them to see it. And that continues to be infuriating. And once again, I keep saying the phrase short-sighted, but all these men's events are coming up because they're trying to capitalize on the last days of Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal. Yeah. That's going to happen soon. Mm -hmm. And there is nobody <laughs> really coming up. That's your take. Yeah, for sure. It's a fair I mean, take. I mean, I mean, not that bit. You know no. what I mean? Like, we don't have a rival. There are a lot of fun no players to watch. No one with initials on hats being sold. Yeah, but, but nobody that, like, like alone yeah. is, like, a brand. Like, there, I mean, yeah. there are a lot of players that I love to watch and that are loved. But, like... They're going to need the star power of the women soon. I think so. And I think it's just, you're, I think it's a stronger together thing. I yeah. think the sum of its parts is it's much yeah. better than, sorry, it's much bigger than the sum of its, whatever you, you know what I mean. Because both tours go through ebbs and flows with yeah. talent. And that's why when they're together, it's better because they can prop each other up when they're, yeah. when they're going through ebbs and flows yeah. that like are completely normal. And in like real worst case scenario times when you have. Something like a men's tournament where there's like a walkover in the final or something. Yeah. At least you have some match to put on. Or yeah. Like, it's a fail-safe thing. I think it works great. I, yeah, we're all together on that. Um, you mentioned the outspokenness thing. That's something that a couple of different 
readers raise. That's something that I think is one of the most interesting things when you set women's tennis in the sports landscape because you cover obviously primarily American women's sports and American women's team sports, which are the two main ones are soccer and basketball Mm -hmm. for that now. And seeing them in your coverage of the Mystics and of, you know, women's national team players who've come out and been outspoken, they talk and take ownership of the issues and are motivated to talk about issues and willing to speak up and speak out and to make waves in this way that I just, it's so alien to someone who would only cover women's tennis. There's not, and women's tennis, as we mentioned, Billie Jean King invoked her a few times and Martina Navratilova has this history of of being wave makers, right? Of being women who were trailblazers, who were not afraid to speak their minds for better or worse. They both had negative consequences of that at times in their careers. Obviously they both came out um, or were outed in different ways that that had detrimental effects on their careers separately and apart, but also, but just in women's tennis right now, and it's partially, I think, and we'll get, we can get to this in any way you want to. It's partially a reflection of who the current top players are. Like, I think the top two in the rankings right now, or at least the top two, like, young stars right now are Ash Barty and Naomi Osaka, both of whom are not at all people to, like, rock the boat or to be at all just their personalities. They have never once seen either of them say something that was, like, super, you know, um, rally and cry on any level. Um, and so maybe that's just maybe it's just about the cast of characters. Yeah, but it's just a new thing. No, this isn't a new thing. But I wanted to phrase it as a question um, we got from one of our listeners, Tyler, who asked: U.S. soccer and U.S. women's national team have made feminism and gender equality uh, core to how each has been marketed in the U.S. Uh, how would you consider the WTA's marketing efforts, and should it take notes from soccer and sort of foregrounding? Feminism, I guess, in that way. And then the follow-up part of it says, in the last decade or so, the WTA has been shy about celebrating or even mentioning its role in the development of feminism. And it's true. It's true. I mean, like Billie Jean King was, she gets mentioned in all the women's studies textbooks about what was going on in the early 70s. She's part of that. Um, what should the WTA be doing to celebrate, investigate, promote, and broaden and broaden and further WTA's founding feminism? I mean, what he's saying basically is should WTA... Could WTN somebody get back to its roots as a relatively outspoken, radical organization with a feminist message? Because that, that does seem to be fairly muted right now. I mean, not unless the players push them to. This is the thing. U.S. Women's National Team, women's soccer, um, women's hockey, women's basketball, none of those had the people at the top deciding that's the best way to market it. Yeah. This came organically and through pushes from players, right? And from players using their platforms um, to fight in this way. And, I mean, it's a little hard to compare because, I mean, women's tennis is, like, economically and everything just so, I mean, we're light years as ahead. You, as you mentioned, Ashbury just got $4 million, which is... $4.42 million. $4.42, thank yeah. you for clarifying. Which is, I'm guessing, more than the salary of a WNBA team. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And, um, and and that was for one, one week. (laughs) And, um, so, you know, so it's, it's tough, but I am disappointed that I understand that there's a difference since it's not a team sport. Yeah. And, the players feel more isolated and they feel more under the spotlight and there's so much on their shoulders 
from a day in day out perspective. They're not, you know, very few have guaranteed money coming in. Um, They, you know, are giving these press conferences alone. Um, They're not standing side by side with people. And I want to acknowledge that because I want to, I do think that that makes it more difficult. Um, You can see that a little bit in this, in the stories are coming out lately about the track stuff that's coming out with Mary Kane and things like that. Where the responses from the Nike athletes have been far more, um, a bit scattered. I mean, it's not like this thing sort of, you know, because they are all individuals on this, in their sport. And it took, and and it took one, right? You have to have the one, the one breaking out and then, you know, you have to kind of go from there. And that was a place where there was a real injustice yeah. too. And I think, I'm not saying that there aren't these real injustices on the WTA. I'm sure there are some that are undercovered and not not dealt with. There's also not equal prize money in the sport. Let's and there's not equal that. prize money We got money one sport, question about that, just sort of talking about the differences. Yeah. In Canada, Cincinnati, like, that's a little, I don't need to get, want to get into all of the arcane differences, but everyone knows, or everyone in tennis knows, year-end women make roughly... At least of a few years ago, about 80 cents on the dollar to the men. And yeah. it might have actually even gone down. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if there these players would be willing to be more outspoken about things if they were asked about it a little bit often, more often. You know, I think that um, these press conferences, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're going after the matches, right? One-on-one. And they're, they're scary subjects to broach. Um, but overall, what I hope is that the players will continue to become more educated on how they got where they are and the fact that it's not a given that they get to stay there yeah. it's- because the men still want to split away. I mean, the men are still fighting to get to push them out, even on this level. I mean, we heard just a few years ago, the men saying we can't keep equal prize money at slams because they're not they're You know, they're going to want to stop giving the men raises because they have to give them to the women. Yeah. No, and it's it's not at all a done deal at all. Looking ahead, there's a lot of speculation already about what's going to go on with this event that's happening in Brisbane next year, uh, where the ATP new ATP Cup is combining with the WTA Premier Tournament, where the top three women are on the tour all signed up to play, and the center court spaces for women might be non-existent for the first several days of those, that tournament, where the men get sort of barge in and take all of that, and that's a problem. And maybe it takes wake ups like that. Maybe. The women are currently, you know, they've earned, you know, complacent sounds like a critical word, but like there's not, there's nothing really agitating them to be like, wow, injustice that I see. And Vashik Pathisil, who was on the show a few months ago, talking about men's player council tour stuff, used the word injustice to talk about him thinking that athletes weren't getting a fair share of tennis profits. Yeah. And that's language that I don't reject per se, but I never hear the women using that same thing. And I think men... In society and everything, so often feel so much more entitled to be entitled to yeah. feel like they deserve things. To feel well, like women they're, have been, they, women have been told be happy things. with what yeah. with what you've got, right? Yeah. And, and I think, certainly all the male coaches and everything, and male agents and women's tennis, and they're probably reinforcing that message on a daily yeah. basis. Yeah, um, they're comfortable. Yeah, and um, it it's scary. And also, in a, I think something about tennis that makes it hard is you're at a tournament one week and then you're gone. Right, you're only in these places for such a short period of time, right? So let's take like Washington and the way that this the tournament and you know we're in Washington D.C. has often treated women, right? How much of your capital are you going to spend on a fight for a better court in Washington, which you're at for like 
three or four days, no. maybe five or six days, right? Then you have to worry about it for 51 more weeks. And then, yeah. yeah. And, 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 I mean, how much of your energy are you going to spend on that, right? And I get, I mean, like, I, that makes perfect sense to me, yeah. right? Like, I, uh, I, 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 there are a lot of fights I don't make because I'm tired, right? And you're just focused on what's right in front of you. But I, I do think that we that the sport is going to be better off with more outspoken leaders. I think Bianca Andreescu uh, might be willing to be more outspoken. Um, we've already seen Coco Goff be a lot more comfortable speaking out about things. So um, I'm hoping that this kind of neck, and I, not only Osaka, I mean, she's not a rock the boat person, but she does recognize like when injustice happens and she will speak out against that. So like, you know. I think so. I, this is the thing with both her and with Barty. It's they're both young too. They both are relatively compared to especially the big three who are the leaders on the rankings of the men's tour. Osaka and Barty by that scale, it's like, you know, are been here for minutes. So we're still learning what they're gonna mature into as yeah. leaders off court of the players, how they'll find their voices. Yeah. And so they're still new. So I definitely give them time to grow into that. But there is a vacuum at the same time because Serena is the best outspoken person, but she's such a part time player on tour. And she has so many other things going on in her life that she can't do all those things by herself. And sometimes, you know, and she does seem weary sometimes of getting asked these questions all the time because she is the one person who will engage, who will kind of give you often the quote that you think represents what the players are thinking, what players who are aware of these things are thinking. And there are side players too, your Petkovic's, your Nicole Gibbs's, who, but they just don't have... You need to have someone near the top of the sport for the voice to be heard. Azarenka would do it occasionally, but occasionally, she's but she, not. And she's also like and not, she's not in the top of the sport anymore. Not anymore right now, no. Yeah. And so she's not been hanging around tournaments as long. And she's someone who's definitely been a great example of someone who's really found her voice. Yeah. Who when she, when she was number one in the world, she was not at all as engaged and as articulate on these issues as she's become. No. And so I think that's really positive, and I hope that share results match her her message. I think it's a powerful yeah. one for sure. One question we got, um, and talking about combined events a little bit. This question is from Ashley Stewart, who is a Canadian tennis fan. And she's yeah. asking a few questions, but I'm going to take the one on the other sports that's panned out a little bit. Okay. She asks specifically, what can the LPGA mm. take from the WTA success? And she's saying, paraphrasing, that she would love to see more combined events yeah. in golf and combined majors in golf that way. How, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, and we talked about this a lot offline over beers nearby but what how what lessons from women's tennis successes are transferable to other women's sports and how much is women's tennis a unicorn yeah i mean look women's tennis the fact that combined events have always existed and been a landmark of the sport you cannot um undersell how important that has been um, and I say this for the Olympics too. A lot of people yeah. ask why with the Olympics are, you know, why do we get to know these women for the Olympics? And I always say it's because at the slams and at the Olympics, the outlets are there because the men, not because the men, but that, you know, it's the default to male places yeah. are there. But once they're there, they go for what's the best story. Yeah. Right. Once they're there, once all these players and all these events are around them, right. Once all these stories are in their face, they, they, they go to the best story. And if you are a tennis writer from, I don't know, the Daily Telegraph in London, who is assigned to cover the Australian Open, you're expected to cover both men's and women's tennis. Yeah. yeah. You can't go there. I don't know a single writer 
because he also never wants to stay employed, who says, oh, I only do men's stories. Yes. Um, obviously, like, people who work for one tour is an exception. Yeah. They're not unwilling to do that per se. And, like, that's a big thing that, like, most NBA writers, I'm guessing, have probably never written a yeah. WNBA story. Right, yeah. Um, and... I th- we talked about one example I thought of I brought this up to you before is this idea of having the final fours for March Madness in the same city. Yeah. And, and how that might work. I don't not. know that I, I agree with that. I mean, yeah. like, I think it's tough, right? Because, and you see this even with the, the WTA, right? That it can, the women can often be treated as second class citizens yeah. at the marquee events, right? And this is after all these years yeah. Yeah. of having, right? Yeah. So what happens when you, I mean, the women's final four is actually like a really fun event to successful go to. Event, yeah. And it's a very successful event, right? So I wonder when you, you know what I mean? Like, do you take away what's working? But I don't know. I don't know. I think with the LPGA, uh, what I would really like to see is, for sure, more combined events. Golf media is also probably the most sexist media I've seen. Hmm. Um, and golf, How so? Huh? How so? I mean, places like golf.com and golfdigest.com still have regular daily or weekly or la- – it's probably a year ago since I last checked about this. But, like, hot player of the week mm-hmm. things. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I mean, this isn't, like, your random blog. This is, like, Golf Digest. Yeah. That's, like, you know, wag of the week or something Right, wasn't that the thing where they hadn't had a woman on the cover for so long? And then they put on a girlfriend? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, they put on... um, Gretzky. Gretzky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Paulina um, Gretzky, I think. Huh? I think Paulina's her name. Yes. Paulina Gretzky. Uh, Let's say Paige, but that's not right. You're right. Um, Yeah, and so I think that, you know, golf media is, I mean, ridiculously... Um, sexist in this in this way and I think more combined events would certainly help Um, I think more players engaging um, and speaking up would help I think there are a lot of players also in that sport afraid to rock the boat and I think even more so because um, it's it's even more conservative than tennis yeah yeah. And and that makes it really There's no really, Billie Jean in golf. Really tough. I mean, look, the LPGA is even older I think than the WTA. It is, so yeah. the LPGA gets tons of credit for what it has built, which is, you know, there are a lot of women making their living playing golf. Yeah. Um so I don't want to undermine that in in any way. Um but for me, I think the biggest lesson and this is actually to go back to what I wrote for Power Plays when I was looking at the history, the biggest lesson was the power of collective action and what Billie Jean King and the original nine did when they signed those $1 contracts and when they broke out on their own and when they bet on themselves Mm -hmm. is the biggest lesson because if they hadn't done that, we wouldn't be here today because the men would have never found that success. And you know, I think that's what you're seeing more and more, the collective action. I mean, we got women's hockey, women's uh, soccer, um, you know, women's um, basketball, all, you know, doing, you know, having negotiations, all standing. And it's awful that they have to fight this much. It takes such a toll on them. You yeah. know, I was actually talking with Ashlyn Harris, a soccer player, um, a couple weeks ago, and she called out the U.S. men's national team for not standing with I them enough. That. Yeah. yeah. And there, a lot of people were getting mad at it, but I, I had, I had all these, I had female athletes reaching out to me and saying, "I'm so glad she said this." The men, nothing is ever in question for them. They're 
existence, right? They're not fighting for that when they're out there every single day. The fight is exhausting. (laughs) No, it really is. It really is. And I think like for part of it, for the LPGA and for the WTA, I think that you've seen them both reach these relative levels of success. Obviously, WTA had... And maybe there just need to be a breather, right? Maybe everybody just need to catch their breath a little bit before you keep fighting to the next yeah, level. Maybe. But the truth is, nothing in women's sports is going to progress because a man in charge wants it to. And that's a big sort of question with a lot of the women's sports now, the team sports in the U.S. And obviously, I think you're alluding to this sort of, but like, you know, should women, the U.S. women's national team still stay with U.S. soccer? Yeah. As a governing body, when they've been paying the men so much more regularly and the women feel like they're not ever going to get a fair shake there, should WNBA teams be co-owned by NBA teams? And same with National Women's Soccer League teams. Should they have MLS partners? And there are benefits to that and stability and security comes with that. But also, you're always going to be like the kid sister side thing and never be given the total space to maybe grow as big as you could. So there's trade-offs and and, kind of there's... I can hear both arguments yeah. for that. Too. Well, and the so, WTA yeah. ended up, I mean, going back, you know what I mean? Like it yeah. was separate, but it very much rejoined the men in a lot yeah, of ways. Do you know lot, what I mean? A lot of the biggest women's turns are combined. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm not saying it's an either or, but I'm saying what I learned by studying all these women's sports, studying the origins of them and studying where they are now is that absolutely no progress has happened without women collectively fighting for it. And that's frustrating. Because I don't want, I wish they could just play their damn sport (laughs) and just be athletes. Um, But that's not the reality. A couple more questions to get through for us. Uh, One is uh, another WNBA question, actually. This is from Jimmer Jimson, who says WNBA became more interesting this season because newspapers and websites invested in people covering it and the stories the players were told to the public. Uh, I think that helped grow the sport. Shout out to Lindsay for her great mystic storytelling, Jimmer says. Uh, Do you see there being a shortage of coverage for WTA or not really? Because Courtney and their team, and Ben too, of course, he says, do a great job, but they can't cover everyone. What what is your assessment of the WTA media landscape? And um, he said, and also asked, how open are players to interviews outside of required press conferences? Um, That's a mixed bag. It's a really mixed bag. And I don't travel enough. I'll answer that one briefly, quickly. Women are across the board more amenable. Well, almost entirely across the board. Like, there's one or two exceptions. Maybe, like, Serena and Sharapova and Venus, like, let's say, are kind of on their own tier in terms of being tough to get, obviously. Um, But for the most part, WTA is incredibly accommodating and great and helpful. And I had a really – I'll point out one really positive experience I had with this. Um, This year, I was going to cover – um, I was going to write a story on Kiki Burton, who was having a great clay court season. In I was going to write it in Rome after if she won her semifinal, I think it was, and she wound up getting, or maybe a quarterfinal, um, I forget which one, and she got a walkover in the first match of the day. And so suddenly I was like, she was not off the schedule and was no longer obliged right, to yeah. do things. And I was like, oh crap, I was supposed to do a story on her. And WTA did not make, did not sort of, let her go. They were like, okay, we'll ask her still, we'll still see if she can do it. Understanding the importance of coverage. And Kiki, who's one of the sweetest people on tour, was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I mean, I'm going to watch my friend Subble's match. I'll do it after that. It was Demi Schur, her friend. Um, and yeah, so we did that. And it's like, that would never happen. It'd be very hard to imagine that happening with a top 10 men's player. Yeah. Use a blanket statement. Maybe yes, maybe no. But it's hard to imagine that happening. And the men would make it seem more like, ATP would make it seem more like you're lucky to get to speak to them, where the women will often, because I, 
like all parts of things have to work harder sometimes. And yeah, so there, that was a, a good example yeah. of that. And but you mentioned, Jim Rohn's email mentioned Madison Keys, And you know, there are mixed things about like, he's heard as an example, she's a mixed thing because she is great when you get her, but at the same time, IMG is trying to make her commodity at times. It makes her more elusive than maybe she should be on paper. I hate agencies sometimes. that do that. Right. And there's and so, so many. And they're trying to like pick Wasserman is the worst at that. I don't yeah. know if there are any tennis players at Wasserman. I don't think there are. Oh my, okay, sorry. So anyway, but just like there, you get interference run by things sometimes too. So it's usually, usually the players are good. Um, and often they are. And WTA comms I've had very good experiences with recently. But, but to your, I guess to, to, yeah. So your point on that accessibility, I think is really good in the sports you cover for the most part, WNBA. And it's never as good as you want. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You know what I mean? I mean, that's. And you get locker room access though, which is a different thing where you can kind of walk out to people in the locker room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Which, which is better. And after practices and stuff. Um, but I think like to answer like the bigger question, I mean, I worry about tennis media in general because it's such an expensive sport to cover. And it's such a, I mean, it. If I didn't travel, I'd cover one week a year in DC. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, the only tennis I've been able to see, right, for the past few years has been in D.C. And, um, and you know, it's it's hard to fund this stuff. And yep. you see fewer and fewer organizations um, willing to. And I will say, though, what the WTA does on their website um, with WTA Insider and with what Courtney does and the stories they tell. So I, for... Um, the past year before I started Power Plays, I was doing Tennis Tuesdays on the Nine newsletter, yeah. which you should also subscribe to. Everyone should subscribe to because Steph Liveday, Liveday, thank you, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just took over. She's from the she's with the WTA and did is doing a f- phenomenal job. So yeah. she's now doing Tennis Tuesdays, and um, so every day of the week you get news and links and updates on a different women's sport. five different sports, five different I mean, sports, like golf, basketball, hockey, uh, soccer, maybe. And tennis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, but because of that, I really, the one reason I really loved doing that was because it kept me more engaged with the tennis world than I had been. And, but, you know, when I was looking for links every week, when you're not at the, um, when you're not at a major, it was hard to find anything. But the WTA website did a phenomenal job. Yeah. Like there were so many match reports, so many different interviews with players. Um, They've you know, got a lot of good writers for them too. People who are familiar to tennis. Twitter people also too. Yeah, David Kane, Her- right. Hurley, uh, Jason, um, you know, various people like that. Yeah, it, Victoria Kiesa, a lot of people who've been on that side of things. And I have to give them like a lot of credit, and I think it just Alex McPherson. It just shows, like, though once again, like I'm, sh- I wonder how much they put into their media versus what ATP does. Um, he does a lot, also. Yeah, so yeah, they do. Um, but you know, if, if it wasn't for that, there would be nothing. No, totally and not. um, a lot of these weeks, and so. Kudos to them. But I think in general, I kind of worry about tennis coverage um, and the viability. It was sad. Like when I was trying to find someone to take over Tennis Tuesdays and I was talking with Courtney, you know, I was DMing Courtney back and forth or texting her and we were like, wow, the bench is really small right now. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I was glad we were able to figure it out. But overall, um, I think all women's sports need more people telling the stories. And I think what Jimmer says in his email, I definitely did see in the WNBA this year too. I mean, there was, it did seem to me purely anecdotally, and I think there were stories about this, so I do think it is somehow backed up that there were more reporters and more resources given to giving WTA, certainly I saw that in Washington, sorry, WNBA, giving them more full coverage. The Mystics won their first championship this year. 
and all along the season, our buddy Ava Wallace was writing a lot about the Mystics throughout the year. Yeah. It was a fixture there and it was giving them, you know, I think, I know someone, I saw someone got upset. I think it was Tony Kornheiser or something. It was Tony Kornheiser. Got upset when, like, the Mystics got play over the Nationals. And they some... didn't even get play over the Nationals, yeah. really. Like, they got, they lost a game in the finals, I think yeah. it was, and got a bar at the top of A1. And then the Nats won the wild card game and got the whole splash page. Mm. So, you know, <laughs> either way. And Tony Kornheiser was horrified. <laughs> All that is to say... Uh, yeah, so like people, people will be you know bracing it, but it's good that it becomes normal, and it's good that like it shouldn't be weird. I was you know, this is again anecdotal, but like on Mystics went to a game five in their championship yeah. series mm-hmm. this year, and they're in the final, which, which is it's best of five. Best so of that's five. A, that's a final one, which is fine in basketball context. Huh? Best, of, best of five is fine in basketball. We should have say but the was seven. I know. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. A deciding game in basketball, mm-hmm. and I went to look for tickets in their new arena, which is smaller than the one they used to play. They used to play in the Wizards Arena. Now called Capital One Center, I believe. It hasn't changed name in the last five minutes. Um, arena, and arena, sure. And um, and there were like no tickets available on the real estate market for under a hundred dollars. Yeah. And at the one hand, I was like, oh well, I'm not going to go with them. But on the other hand, I was like, that's great. That's yeah. how it should be. I should have like it's encouraging when there aren't women's tickets available for peanuts for like a, the best game of the season. Yeah. It should be in demand. It should be a premium event. And that was, I was really happy to see that and then watch it on TV. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a great game. Was, yeah. No, DC did a really good job of supporting the Mystics. The WNBA is growing. And I think, you know, people just being more receptive to it. And I think what people realize is like, we love sports for the competitive nature of it. Right. And we love stories and that's what we love. And women's sports has that, it's, you know, as much, if not more, as the men's do. Yeah. Like a game five in anything is going to be exciting. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> um, more, more of a fun question, a little okay. bit of diversion here, from which Richard Flowers. Um, he says, since Battle of the Sexes was released, there hasn't been many sports movies focused on women, even though the rise of women in the media has grown. What female athlete or athletes do you think should be the next to have a movie focused around them? And he says he knows there's rumors about a movie around Richard, Richard Williams, which is true. There's a movie in the works starring Will Smith as Richard Williams. Right. Called King Richard. Um, but he's talking something more about focusing on the athletes. And I, I imagine that Venus and Serena will be big parts of that movie. But Yeah. Um, I was about to say, I mean, the most obvious is the Williams sisters yeah. need, like, uh, a movie. You know who I heard is actually might be in the project, and I don't know where this is at in the project, but I was excited to hear it and was wondering why it took so long for it to come back in this era especially. There might be something in the works about Renee Richards. Think okay. that's like the one that like is the most like crazily ahead of its time story women's sports. I think. Yeah. Oh. And Renee Richards yeah. bringing trans visibility in the seventies when oh, no one was absolutely. talking about that at all. Yeah. yeah. No. Hundred um, percent. So yeah, I mean, those are kind of like the obvious. But outside of tennis, what would you what would you think? I mean, the ninety niners. Yeah. <laughs> like, why have we not? You know, I mean, I think like that is. Um, You're talking and, about the women's soccer team. The women's soccer team, yeah. sorry, who won the World Cup in, in, in 1999. Well, Courtney was there at that at the final oh against my China. God, she was there with amazing. her friend Steph. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that to me is, uh, and there was a lot of great journalism done around it headed into this World Cup because it was a 20 year anniversary, obviously. And um, what you, you know, 
going back and um, what they were able to build and the crowds they were able to draw in and what they had come from. And if you look at that story, actually, so in every edition of Power Plays, or almost every edition, I include uh, archive clips. Because um, yeah. one of the things I'm trying to show is just like how systemic all this is. And, um, do you use newspapers.com? Because I love I it. do, yeah. I I use news, and, I, and I use the New York Times archives a lot. Yeah. Um, so I usually go to New York Times archives first and then newspapers.com. But... Um, there's been so many labor actions in women's soccer too. Uh, in in '95, in '99, um, you know these players too have fought have fought even back then for everything they've gotten up to this point. And I think that um, you know Brandy Chastain and Mia Hamm and um, uh, Brianna Scurry, uh, if anyone deserves the um, uh, I don't know Disney yeah. Disney yeah. treatment, like it's it's them. Um, the other person I'll shout out to, and I don't know if when she would be a movie or what her context would be, but I, I don't have a vote for this, but I hope that it is a done deal that for sports person of the year, for 2019 for Sports Illustrated, that is Megan Rapinoe. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I was I trying mean, to think in the past. If it, right. But, but yeah, like, yeah. If, it, if it, if it, yeah, that's not a good pick for historically. But I'm just saying like, even, you probably wouldn't do one this soon with her, but maybe, I don't know, with the Trump stuff, maybe there hasn't been a Trump movie yet. I don't know. Uh, we'll see when people are ready for to re-examine this time instead of saying it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Rapino will get my vote for sports person of the year. Oh. Without a doubt. She seems like a slam dunk. And if she doesn't get it, I'll be pissed. I mean, she'll get it. Like, I hope so. Yeah. They're not but it's so rare that women get it. So I can't and also, it, who knows what's happening for SI. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that, that leads us exactly actually to the next question, um, which goes a little bit to what you were saying earlier. This is from longtime listener Fabian... Uh, Fabian, uh, sorry, Aguiranesa, who asks, with what's happened to Think Progress, Sports mm. Illustrated, and Deadspin, and other outlets, do you have hope for the future of media? I'm terrified. I mean, I wish I could sit here and say I had a lot of hope, but I don't. I, don't I mean, um, it's so for those of you who don't know, because Think Progress is definitely the smallest one of these, you know, my I was at Think Progress, which is a progressive news outlet for four years, and I was their sports reporter, obviously the only sports reporter there. Um, and it, you know, it was shut down and it was a nonprofit newsroom housed at a larger nonprofit that justice that wasn't under the same financial straits as, you know, your typical um, firm, but decided they didn't want to have a newsroom anymore, basically. And, um, you know, then, you know, what happened with Deadspin with, you know, private equity firm chopping it up and, you know, and, and, and ripping it to shreds. And then with SI, I mean, now going to all these, I mean, sport i mean it's so dumb i don't even i can't even explain the si new model and they're three very different cases in their own ways they are because yours was a unique setup with the think tank si was a traditional media outlet that had been fading for a while yeah and they made this sort of drastic move and it's still around and then deadspin was like this ridiculous like seppuku of like you were doing fine and someone came in from the outside and screwed it up they are all different but i think what um, there is shared stuff there. What yeah. joins them together is the people in power not understanding and valuing journalism. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what, I mean, I think for us, Think Progress, uh, the, the, the think tank that housed us thought when they got rid of all Think Progress, they could just keep the site and have their people just 
post things oh, there daily. It was more union busting what you went through. It was more union busting, but it was the same kind of philosophy as Deadspin yeah. being like, yeah, we'll be fine. Like, this isn't that hard. And Deadspin seems dead. They and Deadspin seems dead now because, yeah. I mean, people scared him away. But, I mean, this thought of what you're doing isn't hard. Anybody can come in and do what you're doing. Not respecting You know it, what I mean? No. Like, not respecting it. And I'm terrified. I mean, I... You know, so I'm, I'm, you know, with Substack right now, they've offered me, you know, I'm actually like on a contract with them. Um, I'm do have a fellowship with them. They are supporting power plays. Um, you know, I mean, I'm just not, it's not a salaried position. I, I've got to, you know, get subscribers, but you know, I haven't been able to get support through them, but what I'm doing there needs to be a stopgap. It needs to be filling holes. It can't be the answer for everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm terrified that now people are like, well, that's just the answer. And it's not. I mean, I think like what I can do, what I'm doing can only be powerful and meaningful. Like I said, if it's, if it's filling holes, yeah. if it's supplemental, because I don't have a huge travel budget. I don't have, um, lawyers and, um, you know, a big editorial team behind me. Um, it's, you need newsrooms and I'm terrified. And I think like what we've seen, like the media has lost so much and then losing splinter and other news organization, like, um, yeah. in the Gizmodo, like, I just think, uh, there's got to be something stopping private equity firms from coming in and doing this to media companies. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, but, um, this journalism can't just be about profit. It can't be. It's a public service. It's like, yeah, yeah. like it just can't be. Yep. And um, so I wish I had hope, but right now I'm terrified for the future of this industry. What about you, Ben? I'm similar. Yeah, I'm definitely, yeah, definitely I, yeah. for sure. Um, I don't have a ton of optimism about where it's going. Um, the Deadspin thing was particularly frustrating to me from the private equity side, and also because that was like an example of people who were doing it right, and that they, they got taken down right. when they were so healthy and like profitable. That was especially infuriating. To me, um, and shout out to all the dead spinners who, you know, are tennis people too, like Geary and uh, Laura Wagner. Uh, Geary's with Racket now. Yeah, Geary's yeah. now on the masthead of Racket, which I'm excited to have him there with us there. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't want to end on this much of a down note, but I do think it's super important for people to subscribe to newspapers. local, Whatever your local newspaper is. My editor, I don't know if I, you saw this, my editor at the time is now going to the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Which is great. I mean, I mean, it's sad so, for you, but sad yeah. For, very sad for me, Nyla. Um, I'll maybe try to have her on the show or something to, we've oh, never yeah. had before, well, just to have her talk about because she's done an amazing job at directing New York Times coverage over the last, gosh, I don't know, eight, nine, ten. I don't know how long she did tennis for, but before I was there. I mean, right around the time when I started, she started on tennis. So eight or so years, I think. And she made it what it was and directed it. And she's not a byline name often people know necessarily as much as the correspondence. But people like her, what I meant to say is her going to Minneapolis is a great win for Minneapolis. Yeah. And I need people, if you're a listener in Minnesota, please pay for a subscription to the Star Tribune. If you're in, you know, insert name of city here, there's some big paper there that's still doing important work, being a check and balance on people in power, whether it's in sports, whether it's in government, whether it's in anything you know there's so much that happens in the world because of the good work of journalists yeah. and it is being attacked at all times obviously current politicians are a big part of that being undermined by other news quote-unquote organizations with agendas to tear it down to create distrust you know just hopefully people can stick up for journalists and the things we do and one way to That's do that in the easy way to do that is to subscribe to power yeah i mean yeah i mean it's on that note like i 
you know, so I left Think Progress and I didn't know what was next for me and I was trying to figure it out. And one thing I've heard from people at pretty much every single paper that paper or website that exists is I tried to get my bosses to hire you. I've mm. heard that from so many people and it's flattering. Yeah. Um, but I didn't get any full-time job offers at yeah. those places because I think there is still hesitancy that there is enough value and interest in this, yeah. in what I do to be full-time. And um, I know there is. I know I've got to work really hard to build it, um, but I know there is because I hear from people every single day and because there are so many stories I can't tell alone, right? I'm not uh, ever running out of stories to tell. Um, so, you know, one of the things I've had to, look, I'm a millennial. I didn't ever think I was going to, about paying for things, about paying for newspapers or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like, you know, I grew up with the internet. Everything yeah. was just free. Like yeah. I, you know, subscriptions and stuff. But over the past few years, I've really started to, in my budget, like put aside, um, you know, along with the Netflix, you know, and whatever. Spotify, Spotify yeah. like put it as a part of my budget to include, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, um, The Athletic, if need be, and also, you know, a, a local paper or two and friends, patrons. Like it's, yeah. it's unfortunately, I know that we don't all have money. I don't have a lot of money. We're all kind of making it do. But I think that unfortunately right now this is where we are yeah and i i totally agree with all that and i think that you know it is and also like we're saying it like it's like we're kind of making this like weighty thing but also like it's going on with spotify and netflix it's part of your entertainment budget like people spend so long on their phone reading articles on twitter or social media whatever you're consuming so much news as part of that's what i do you know i'm bored i check twitter and read articles and read I just read some massively long thing in the New York Times uh, last night about this, you know, family that was posing as royals in India that was like, God, I don't know. I want to read that immediately. Right. It was just like a pullout section thing. It was great. And I was like, this is a huge, you know, I I still think I'm biased, obviously, but like New York Times, the amount of of content you get to use that for your subscription is unbelievable. And so many other outlets are the same way. And it's just a great thing to invest in. And you'll get return from it. You'll have fun with it brighten your day and on that note thank you Lindsay, for being here thanks for having me uh i think we talked just about as long as i expected us to talk any of uh do you have like a well I'll do the quick sign off thing thank you for the plug last plug so you power plays is found at powerplays dot news dot n-e-w-s news um just put in your email address and that's all you have to do right now it's free for another month or two, three a week, it'll always be at least one free. So you will always get it worth. And I work really hard on each, um, each edition. And they're not short emails. These are not two sentence emails you're getting. Um, but I do break them up. So I think they're yeah, digestible. And, um, and you know, I've gotten more good feedback from this than from anything I've ever done. Oh, good. I'm glad and to hear so that. I think that I can say, um, that it's, it's, it's worth, it's worth adding another email to your inbox, I which so. I know can seem overwhelming. Understood. Um, but you know, like I said, even if you, even if you just don't, if you don't read them all, I just need you to subscribe <laughs> because I need to tell, show people that, I, that, that people are subscribed. And tell your friends to subscribe. And, and, or just subscribe them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just put their email that in the box. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yes, so do that. You can follow Linz on Twitter at LinzSport, L-I-N-Z Sports. Mm-hmm. And you can follow the show, NCR, at NCR underscore tennis on Twitter. Send us emails, comments, questions for future episodes. And things for Lindsay, we can pass on to her if you want to ask her specifically. Our email for the show is nochallengesremaining at gmail.com. Thank you for subscribing and liking and doing all the things you do for NCR as well. Uh, do you have like a, is there like a Power Plays anthem to, to um, play us out here? Do you have a theme song for your, for your, oh my God. For your life, for your mission, for where you currently are in the world? Or is this a song you enjoy? You're really putting me on the spot. No. I don't like this. I can pick something if you can't think of anything. Um, or you can come back to me later and tell me. I'm going to have to just come back to you okay. and, and tell you. I mean, I've been listening to the High Women album on repeat, okay. but I, I don't know which exact song I think would be like an anthem. We'll noodle on it and you'll okay. hear it right now. Okay. Listeners. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Redesigning women Running the world while we're cleaning up the kitchen Making bang, shaking hands, driving 80 Trying to get home just to feed the baby Skipping the bread for the butter Changing our minds like we change our hair color Yeah, ever since the beginning We've been redesigning women Some of us are saints and some of us are surgeons.